When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Dan Grasso Show on 98.7 ESPN. In Portland, 800-919-3776 is our telephone number. At Dan Grasso is where you could get me on Twitter if you feel so inclined. And let's talk a little Knickerbockers here because, you know, this is one of those games where it's there for the taking. It really and truly is. You know, you got a Portland team that's struggling. You know, they just came off. Six-game road trip. They took their lumps. You know, Lillard missed the last game. I think he was battling a, a, a hammy or a quad, something like that. I, I think he should be good to go tonight. So I don't think the Knicks are going to get that much of a break. You know, you know, it, it doesn't seem as if Brunson is going to be able to go tonight. He's questionable. I don't think it makes a hell of a lot of sense to play him because just get through the trip, right, and then you rest all the way until Saturday when you have to play again. So we'll see what happens here with the injuries. We should have an official word um, before we sign off uh, and end the show at 930 here. But, you know, this is one of those games you should win. And the Knicks have not had a lot of success in this building. They've lost six in a row in Portland. So now would be the perfect time, would it not, to finally stop the bleeding and get back into the win column in that building? Because this Portland team is not very good. They're dangerous, but they're not very good. Right? Not very good. But... I just keep going back to Sunday night and the win over the Lakers because I got to be honest, for the first time in a while, I was starting to get a little bit nervous. That Clipper game on Saturday, it, it, it left me with a bad feeling. You know, there's some days that, you know, you lose a game, you're not going to be at your best. And you say, oh, well, you know, better luck next time. We'll go get him. But even the fact that Brunson wasn't playing, right, and you were down your most important player. Even the fact that, all right, you go out west, and it's really not always going to be that easy, and especially in the case with the Clippers. I mean, you saw how Kawhi Leonard took over that basketball game, especially in the second half. He was lights out. That was the dude that won a couple of finals MVPs. Like, we haven't seen a lot of that guy over the last few years, but, like, you saw him again on Saturday. Tip your cap, you move on. But then you had the whole Randall episode, right? Struggling again. Three games in a row, he just, for lack of a better term, could not throw it in the ocean. And you start to think back, it's like, uh-oh, you began to saw signs of that guy last year that you hoped you never saw again. A guy that was such a problem, and it was such a head-scratcher for you that, remember, all offseason we talked about the possibility of the Knicks maybe moving on from Julius Randle. A guy that needed a fresh start. A guy that maybe couldn't take playing in the city. That maybe could have benefited from being moved out of this town because as much of a fan favorite as he was a couple of years ago when his team went to the playoffs and he was the comeback player of the year, it was the complete 180. Complete 180 last year. Body language, sulking. I mean, everything. His head wasn't in the game, it seemed like, half the time. And it was affecting his performance on the court. And you didn't see that this year. But you saw that on Saturday. And you know if it was like just this building up of all this anger 
and frustration from not being able to shoot the ball really well the previous three games. I mean, it was bad. Bad, 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 bad. You're shooting like 24%. I mean, something's got to give, right? Something. So, yeah, I was a little bit scratching my head. Like, are things maybe starting to give out for this club? Is this what we're going to get the rest of the season? That's why that game on Sunday in L.A., beating the Lakers, stopping the bleeding, I thought was huge. Huge. You know, Randall playing a big game. R.J. Barrett with a huge performance. See, R.J. has had a couple of good games here, right? But the thing with R.J. Barrett, it just seems like it's flying under the radar. Just steady R.J., nothing fancy. Like, he's a guy that when he puts up 30, it's like the quietest 30 points that you've ever seen. You know, he was a little quiet in that Clipper game, but previous two games, he was good. Even though they were losses, he was good. Game in Boston, he was good. And that's what you need, especially if your floor general in Brunson is not going to be out there. And, you know, that's the other thing, too, with Randall. You saw the absence of Jalen and not having him in the lineup and what he's meant this year, not just for the team, but for a guy like Julius Randall. Putting him in positions to where he's going to be successful. Taking some of the pressure off of him, whether it's the scoring burden, not having to be the guy who's supposed to orchestrate and get everybody where they're supposed to be, you know, on that end of the floor. His absence was felt. So you might have to go with it one more game. But, you know, big picture here for this club, if you can only, I mean, there's 12 games left in the season, right? You talk about time flying by. But with 12 games still to play, I think that realistically their goals are still in front of them. Now, you're going to have to start making that move quick if you want to catch Cleveland for fourth because right now you're three back. You have the one game still against them at the end of the month, which we know is going to be big. But, oh, by the way, you got this Brooklyn team, which isn't maybe going away the way we thought that they would. And even though they took their lumps initially after the trades and that sort of thing, they've, they've managed to gather themselves, and you give them credit for that. They're not playing great, but they're not playing horribly. You know, winning that game in Denver, I think, was big. Really, really big. So that's like the short, short-term short goal if you're the Knicks. Like, make sure you leapfrog Brooklyn and settle yourself into fifth. And then you can then set your sights on Cleveland. But get this one tonight. You know, I would say that you're due to win in Portland. It's been a while, but it's not going to be easy. Because that guy can put up 70. Because we've seen it. Big game tonight. I'm really curious to see how this team is going to come out. And look, we'll see if, if, if Brunson is going to play. I wouldn't bet on it. And I still think the Knicks could find a way to beat this team tonight, even if Brunson doesn't play. It means other guys are going to have to step up, right? More is going to be expected of everybody else. And one more can you say, it's almost like this is the broken record portion of the show, but it seems like every time I come on here, we talk about a Knicks game, just got to keep singing the praises of Josh Hart because he does so many things to help you win a basketball game. Sometimes it doesn't even show up in the box score. But that's how good, I mean, it's no secret that the Knicks have, what, 10-3 and records since they acquired this guy? And I'm sure that the night's going to be a little bit special for him because he's going back to the place where he just came from in Portland. Knicks are going to see Cam Reddish. And please, that wouldn't that be appropriate tonight? Cam Reddish go out there? and light up the scoreboard against his former team, you know that he's going to have a chip on his shoulder, and he's going to be motivated. You know, he was talking about how basketball wasn't fun. He was talking about how, you know, politics were involved and 
all these other things as to why he became the forgotten man in Tibbs's rotation on the bench. You know, he was out there hanging with, you know, the Evan Fournier's of the world, the Derrick Roses, the pay-no-mind list. And I'm sure that he didn't appreciate it, but that's a guy that I would keep an eye on tonight that you hope he doesn't go out and just completely take over a game. But he can also maybe play outside of his own capacities and then does things that could hurt Portland, right? And it might be more of a detriment. That's what you hope. But we'll have the coverage for you. 9.30 pregame and tip off at 10 o'clock here as they round out the four-game trip. And as bad as it started, you take care of your business tonight, you come home on a 500 trip. And really, that ain't all that bad. 800-919-3776. That is the telephone number. Let's say hi to Jose. He's in Brooklyn. He's up next here on 98.7. Jose, good evening. How are you? I'm doing all right, Mr. Garza. How's it going? Outstanding. What is on your mind? Uh, what's on my mind is you, you had me, you know, uh, going with the Lamar Jackson um, soliloquy, which was very, very well done. The thing that it, that doesn't really get talked about is I think there's an actual case for collusion, even though they Lamar they, they never get that close. But um, I think that this is definitely um, the Ravens giving um, putting that tag on him knowing that no other owner is going to give him that guaranteed deal. I, I don't know if it's necessarily a guarantee that no other team will do it. Now, look, you have to, you have, to have a couple of things, right? You've got to yeah. – there's only a handful of teams that are going to be able to part ways with draft choices over the next couple of years because some don't even have first-round picks, so you can immediately remove them. And you're going to also have to have that salary cap space because he wants to then get paid as well. I, I, I think there could – look – Here's the thing, Jose. If there was one team out there that was stupid enough to give Deshaun Watson the contract that he was given, there'll be a team, I think, eventually that would satisfy what Lamar Jackson is looking for. Oh, and, I, and, that's, that, that, and that's my thing, too. Is like I feel like the owners are just very upset that Pandora's box has eventually been opened with a guaranteed contract because when Mahomes or Burrow or any of these other guys do, do come up for free agency – they're going to get something that's close to a guaranteed contract. You know, the walls have already fallen on that one. But that's, well, that's just my opinion. Well, that's, the, that's definitely the thing. And, and, Jose, thanks for the call. And that's, that's what annoyed so much of the owners around the league and people around the not just owners, the general managers, everybody, everybody involved in the game. Because if there was going to be a player that would break the mold and finally get that guaranteed deal, 100% guaranteed. You didn't think it was going to be Deshaun Watson, right? Coming off of the off-the-field problems that he was dealing with. Instead, you thought it was going to be somebody like Jose said, a Patrick Mahomes, a Joe Burrow, somebody like that, who you don't hear anything as far as problems off the field, tremendous player on the field, you know, somebody of that ilk. Not Deshaun Watson. And, of course, it was a team like the Cleveland Browns that had to do it. Cleveland, you know, Cleveland and smart decision-making are polar opposites because the Browns have not made good decisions. And that's why they've been the franchise that they've been for the last pretty much two decades, with a couple of exceptions here and there. But, yeah, that upset a lot of people. And I don't know necessarily if Lamar Jackson is paying for the sins of the Cleveland Browns and for what happened with Deshaun Watson. I, I just think that... The price tag is extremely high. He's somebody that's very set in his principles, and he wants to get compensated for what he feels he's worth. Now, look, 
Baltimore's putting a lot of money out there. That's why that's why the collusion thing, I don't necessarily I I I don't know if I can necessarily go there. Because the Ravens have offered him a contract and contracts worth a lot of money. A lot of money. Guaranteed. Fully. But it's just not what he wants. So collusion implies that nobody's offering anything. I mean, Baltimore's out there trying to make this thing work, but Lamar just wants more and more and more. And you know what? He's entitled to that. He can do whatever he wants. But then at the end of the day, he's got to look himself in the mirror because he doesn't have an agent. He's the one calling the shots himself. And if those better offers are the ones that you think you deserve don't show up, then you really have nobody to blame but yourself. Fascinating to see how this thing plays out, really and truly. 800-919-3776, that is the telephone number. We'll talk to Jordan Renan coming up in about 15 minutes. We'll dive a little bit deeper into the giant off-season moves thus far. When we come back, though, we'll do a little March Madness picks. I know people are still, you know, trying to figure out their brackets, get it in time for Thursday for the start of the tournament and your office pools and so on and so forth. We'll give you some picks. Maybe that'll benefit you down the road. Who knows? Dan Gross' show, 98.7 ESPN. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, doesn't want to start their day with a fresh hot waffle tonight la quinta tomorrow you shine book direct at lq.com this is the dan grasa show on 98.7 espn no jeremy grant tonight for the blazers we'll see about dame lillard remember he missed the last game questionable for tonight i mean that would be a big boost of course for the knickerbockers if he can't go we'll find out a little bit more about jalen brunson tibbs is going to talk in about 10 minutes or so thereabouts. So whenever we have that info, we'll share it with you. A little bit later on, too, we'll share it with you some interesting comments that one Damian Lillard made on the J.J. Reddick podcast, which, you know what, kind of agree with, but we'll share it with you a little bit later on. You can judge for yourself, though. In the meantime, tournament starts on Thursday. Love it. Can't wait. I've said... The first two days of the tournament on Thursday and Friday, those are days where if you can play hooky, right, and you don't have to go to work and you can stay home and that sort of thing, like those are the days. Because they're two of the best days that we have on our sports calendar all throughout the year. It's, it's, It's phenomenal. You know, you can sit on the couch and just watch basketball from, you know, 12 o'clock in the afternoon to past midnight. And it's just game after game after game, thrilling finish after thrilling finish. Um, Everybody does a bracket. Everybody gets excited about it. And you don't even have to be an expert necessarily in college basketball. And I understand it's a lot to absorb. And it's a lot of information. And most people aren't watching the sport all season long. I totally, totally get it. But it's still something you can have fun with here. And I think a lot of people get geeked up over it until, until your bracket's ruined. 
right? I mean, that's the way this thing goes. Once your bracket's done, you're not going to have as much care about the tournament. But in the meantime, though, here's what I'm thinking here for the whole shebang. Um, and this is, look, one bracket. You know, I'm not one of these guys that does five, six, and like, oh, no, no, this, this is the true bracket, okay? There's a lot of scribbles, a lot of scratch-outs. Maybe I'll even post it before Thursday. You know, like the authentic merchandise. A lot of scribbles, you know, a lot of changes because you, sometimes you go over this stuff like five times, six times, like, oh, really? And then you just go back and think about a different team, different whatever. Um, South Region, we were talking about it last night when T.O. was on with us, Terrence Oglesby. And we're both in agreement. I think Alabama, and it's no coincidence, they're the number one overall seed in the tournament. I think they've got the easiest uh, path to the final four out of any of the four number one seeds. I think they'll cruise to the regional final there in Louisville. And I think that they're going to take on Arizona, who's the two seed. I know that looks like chalk, and you try to stay away from the chalk, but I just think these are the two best teams. And I like that the matchups that they're going to face along the way. And I think Alabama will take care of Arizona and go to the final four. So give me Bama out of the south. In the east region, and remember, that's a Madison Square Garden. That's going to be an electric atmosphere. And remember, the last time the regionals were at Madison Square Garden, it wasn't exactly a who's who of, you know, college basketball blue bloods or anything like that. That was Frank Martin's South Carolina team, which ended up winning the regional that year and going to the final four. Uh, Sindarius Thornwell was their big player. You know, Florida was in that um, Sweet 16 at the Garden. I'm trying to think of who the two other teams were there, but South Carolina was the one that went all the way to the final four there. The number one seed is Purdue, and I think that Purdue is primed to be picked off early. Uh, I've seen a ton of them this year, and I think that that potential matchup they have in the second round with Memphis, Penny Hardaway's Memphis team, they've got dudes. They've got a ton of athletic players, wings, guards, you name it. And I think Memphis is going to be a bad matchup for Purdue, and I think the Boilermakers go down in the second round. That's if Memphis can get by Florida Atlantic, of course, because Florida Atlantic, as a nine seed, got a brutal first-round matchup against Memphis because – FAU's a team that won 31 games. I mean, it's a good basketball team. Really, really good. I know they come from a small conference, but, you know, FAU's a team that could win a couple of games, but they just got a brutal matchup there in the 8-9, which is what the committee tends to do because the 8-9 games are supposed to be like coin flips. But I think Memphis knocks off Purdue in the second round. And I think Memphis will meet Duke in the Sweet 16. Now, normally the Blue Devils are a team that's like a one seed, a two seed, a little bit of a transition year for them with John Shire taking over for Coach K. Took them a while to find themselves. And believe it or not, them winning the ACC tournament last week, I still think we haven't seen the best of Duke this season. And I think there's a chance we see it here over the next couple of weeks in the NCAA tournament. So I think Duke will beat Memphis to go to the Elite Eight. On the bottom part of that bracket, I think you got Kansas State going up against Marquette. Marquette just won the Big East tournament. Shaka Smart's got a real good team. K-State's a real good team, too, out of the Big 12. So I think you got Duke and Marquette in the Elite Eight in the East region at Madison Square Garden. And I think Duke will find a way to go to the Final Four. I mean, Duke, you know, over the years, you pick them to go to Final Four, but now they're a five seed. It doesn't look as academic, right? It is still – I'm still qualifying it as a little bit of an upset because they're a five seed. So I'm sticking to it. Alabama, Duke, those are the two final fours on the left side of the bracket. Up at the Midwest, you got Houston as the number one seed. Now, Marcus Sasser, who's a first-team All-American player, Sasser's a guy 
who had a groin injury during the conference tournament there in the American. Houston lost in the final. I don't think it's that serious. I think that Sasser will be A-OK. If he is, watch out for Houston. I think that they're going to get a draw in the Sweet 16 against the 12 seed. I'm going with Drake. You know, you get the 12-5 upsets every year in the tournament. I think Drake is going to pick off Miami, even though Miami's really talented. I think Drake is going to be one of those teams that I think wins a couple of games, and I think they'll pick off Indiana in the second round. More problems for the Big Ten. So I think Drake meets Houston in the Sweet 16. On the bottom half of the bracket, this is where I went back and forth, and this is where I got a nice, you know, a few scribbles. I think Xavier and Sean Miller, who lost in the Big East Championship on Saturday to Marquette, Xavier will find their way to the Sweet 16. They're going to meet Texas A&M. Texas A&M is a seven seed. I think they're underseeded. Texas A&M is a real good team. They've barely lost in the new year. A&M is a team that was one of the ones that got left out of the tournament last year. And I remember Buzz Williams, the head coach, he had a, you know, he went on this diatribe, one of these press conferences. He sat there and he did about 30 minutes the next day basically detailing why his team got screwed and how they got screwed. And, you know, they've played this year like they have a chip on their shoulder. I think they're going to carry it with them into the tournament. That's a dangerous first-round game against Penn State. Penn State's playing their best basketball of the year, came up a hair short of winning the Big Ten championship, but I think A&M beats them. And I think that A&M beats Texas, the all-Texas matchup in that second round, even though Rodney Terry's done a real great job coaching that team, taking over for Chris Beard, who got fired, I think A&M finds a way to beat them. A&M goes all the way to the Elite Eight, and that's when they meet their match, and they'll lose to the top seed in Houston. Houston will go to the Final Four. Then in the West region, this is where it gets interesting because you got some local flair here, including that first-round matchup with UConn and Iona. I think that'll be a dandy, but I think UConn will find a way. Kansas will make it to the Sweet 16. They're the number one, and I think that UConn will get to the Sweet 16 also. They'll take care of a, 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 a tough VCU team in the second round. So you got Kansas and UConn in that first Sweet 16 matchup. On the bottom, I think you're going to get Chalk. I think you're going to get Gonzaga and UCLA on the bottom half. I think Gonzaga takes care of the Bruins because they're nicked up a little bit. And I think UConn upsets Kansas. I really and truly think so. And remember, UConn's had a lot of success over the years when they've ever got placed into a West region. You know, they've won national championships when they're in the West region. This is going to be in Vegas. So I'm thinking UConn-Gonzaga in the West regional final, and I think the Huskies. I think the Huskies are punching their ticket to the final four as a four seed. So I got Alabama playing Duke, Houston playing UConn. So that'll give me, what, two ones, a five, and a four seed in the final four. I think Houston beats UConn in the one national semi. I got Alabama taking care of Duke. They're just the most talented team. So the two number ones are going to butt heads for the national championship on April 3rd in Houston. And I think the hometown team is going to cut down the nets. The Houston Cougars are going to be your national champions. They'll beat Alabama in what I think is going to be a real, real good national championship game. So take those to the bank. You know that those are going to be accurate. It's 100% the way the bracket is going to play itself out starting on Thursday. Wink, wink. We can all be so fortunate. There you go, right? Lock it in, hard. Lock it the hell in. You want to be rich soon? You take those like they're gospel. Bing, bong, well bing, bong, bong, yep. bing. I might just walk down with, you know, the secret of life. Just Access give me those granted. Picks there. 
<laughs> anyway, we come back. Talk a little Giant football. Jordan Renan, our buddy, is going to join us. Cover some, of course, for ESPN. Giants have been busy so far, and they stand to be even busier with work still to be done. Dan Gross' show. Remember, another hour to play with, and we have a little Nick pregame for you. 9.30 on 98.7 ESPN. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. This is the Dan Grosser Show on 98.7 ESPN. Getting a little busy here at the start of free agency as we are less than 24 hours away into the official transition to the 2023 NFL calendar year. And all the moves that have been reported will become official then, even though, you know, they pretty much are anyways. But join us now to talk a little big blue is our good buddy who, of course, covers them for ESPN. It is our pal jordan renan hey jordan how are you dan how's it going man it's uh being everyone's being held hostage by aaron Rodgers over there but i mean you know, you know what pretty soon the world's operating as if things are normal pretty soon we're going to get our show back from aaron Rodgers. as a matter of fact too <laughs> yeah there's no way at this point he's not going to the no. Jets, right can't i mean be. can't be uh, that that would really make tomorrow's show a good show though I would say, like, if that happened, holy cow, at this point. Yeah, he's going to go on Pat McAfee and announce his retirement. How great would that be? (laughs) How do you think Jets fans would take that? (laughs) Pretty well, right? I I assume Jets fans will be very calm, cool, calm, and collective and take that in stride. I think so. They would not hold a grudge against Aaron Rodgers. I mean, look, there's there's a part of the fan base, of course, that that's not even all in on having them aboard, thinking that you know, let's just run yeah, it but back even with those the same people, team we have. But even those people would be ticked off because he toyed with them. Yes. Even those people would hate him. They they wouldn't be happy that he didn't come. They'd be ticked off that on top of the fact that they didn't want him. Then he turned him down at the altar. Thousand percent. You can't you can't please everybody, and I think that we've come to recognize that certainly. And hey, yeah. who knows what tomorrow will have in store? But as far as the Giants are concerned, hey, there is a lot to like in the first couple of days of free agency. Look, I was shocked at this one today when they said breaking news: Darren Waller, if he could stay on the field, Jordan, I think it goes without saying that is a hell of a nice little pickup for Joe Shane. Yeah, you know, so I've been talking about it as one way to supplement the receiving core would be to go in free agency and add a tight end. And I know they at least looked into Dalton Schultz. Uh, you know, Mike Kosicki was a guy I know a lot of people saw at the top of that list. And I even had mentioned, like, Irv Smith Jr., obviously a much lesser version. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the idea is the same. Hey, there's not that number one receiver out there this year. The wide receiver market in free agency stinks, right? It's, it's not good. Uh, so – how about in order to improve, and I like to say our pass catchers if you're the Giants, right? Because yes. if you're talking about just adding weapons for Daniels, does it really matter if it's a tight end or if it's a wide receiver? No. So what's one of the solutions would be to go out and get a tight end and making a trade for Darren Waller 
absolutely falls into that category. Now, there is some risk that comes with it. He's going to be 31. Mm-hmm. He has, an, you know, the last two years he's been injured. So this isn't like, I'm not, I know people, I've seen people like, oh, he fleeced them. This is a steal. Well, this is a risky move in a way. Like, let's see it. You know, it has to pan out. Well, we'll see. Darren Waller the last two years hasn't been great for him. If you actually look at his career, it's fascinating. He has two gigantic years mm-hmm. out of seven. And the other years is pretty much pedestrian or nothing. Yeah. And it's a, so it's a very, very strange career. When I went and looked up his stats for his career, I was like, man, that's pretty unusual right there. Well, he's been through a lot. I mean, you know, a lot off the field. I mean, he was, you know, hooked on drugs when he was yeah. a teenager. And, I mean, he's, he's had a rough go of it. And, you know, then he goes to college at Georgia Tech. And then he tries to, you know, get his NFL career going in Baltimore. And things flame out there. He was getting into problems, of course, off the field. He was suspended for an entire season. And you're right. I mean, he had a couple of monster seasons. The talents, the gifts are there. And he's doing a lot of good work off the field now, charitable and helping young kids try to not make the same mistakes he did. But you're right. And I, I look at it though with the structure of the contract right the guaranteed money is up after this year so if it doesn't work out it's pretty much just a one-year trial here for the Giants yeah it is it's a one-year trial of you know 11 million and change are on the hook for this year so you give it a try but I mean they want this to work out you don't want it to be a one year and then you just threw that third round pick down the toilet that's that's not the intention here the intention here is okay let's get a, a security blanket or a number one receiver even in some way, for Daniel Jones, a guy that he could trust and can make big plays down the field. Darren Waller is a big play machine when he's healthy, and the Giants have we're just we're not capable of making big plays this year. So they want that in their offense. And, I, you know, yes, they can get out of it, but that would be like, all right, well, we whiffed on that one. Now we got to where, – where do we go for our next, you know, big target? I actually really am a big fan. Mm-hmm. of tight ends as the number one target on teams. I think it's a great way to build your team roster construction-wise. If you look at the best teams consistently over like the last decade or so, you had the Patriots with Gronk. The Eagles, they had uh, Ertz and then in, into Goddard, right? You have the 49ers with Kittle, the uh, the Chiefs with Kelsey. They get paid, to, even though they're they're the number one receivers on their team pretty much. And they get paid significantly less than you would have to pay that number one wide receiver. So I, I do think roster construction-wise, it's a really smart way to go about doing business. I, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, I think we're on the same page here. And I think that, you know, when you bring in a guy who, in theory, is going to be your number one, a guy like Bellinger then takes on the role of having to be a number two tight end, not having to shoulder the load as much as, you know, he had to as a rookie last year. But 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 I'm with you, and mm-hmm. this is only the beginning, and it's a guy who can work the middle of the field. And for a quarterback like Jones, I think that it's kind of right within his skill sets to a certain degree. Now, look, they can't stop, right? I mean, we still know that there's still work to no, do. No, they still certainly. need – they're going to add a receiver. Right. And, and, and add Stur- receivers, I think, by the oh. way. I should that Oh, 100%. I would would be shocked if they didn't draft two. Mm -hmm. And, uh, well, they're they're still working on a free agency that Darius Slayton, someone that uh, they're still working on as well. Uh, Adam Thielen, they at least had discussions with. I mean, so they're they're looking into wide receivers. They're going to sign a veteran wide receiver some way, shape, or form here. In addition to before they get to the draft, they're probably going to use a high pick on a wide receiver at some point as well. 
Talking with Jordan Renan, of course, here on ESPN. Giants staying busy here, first couple of days of free agency. And speaking of wide receivers, Sterling Shepard, it's a one-year deal. You know, we know that he's coming off of uh-huh. the injury plague season, kind of a prove-it type thing. You know, look, he's a guy who's been here, knows what it's like, knows the personnel, knows the offense. If, it's a big if, stay healthy. It's a guy who can make plays for you, and I think that was a nice little under-the-radar move by Joe Shane. I think that's one of those at this point, though, with the way I look at it, at least. If you get anything from him, it's a bonus, right? I don't think you could count on anything from Sterling Shepard. You're talking about, think about this. He's coming off a torn Achilles, came back, and then tore his ACL not long right. after. Like, that's a lot to come back from at 30 years old. So anything they get from him, I think, is a bonus. Uh, I wouldn't count on it. Like, I'm, I'm almost viewing him as, like, he doesn't even, like, if I'm putting together my depth chart, I have him below everybody. And if he and, and if he does get healthy and he can contribute, good for us. Like, right, they didn't pay anything. It's a minimum salary contract. Uh, so they can get off it at any time. But if they do get, you know, if he does get healthy, we know he can play and he can produce. On the other side of the ball, defensively, look, it was no secret. We know that they had to address the linebacker position. Bobby Okereke, that's, mm-hmm. it's a nice move. Look, Giants saw him last year. He had a big game. In that game, the Colts came to MetLife on New Year's Day, even though that it was a landslide victory for the Giants. But the thing I like about it, hey, this is his second contract. He's 26 years old. You know, it's, again, signing yeah. players who are not over the hill and still are going into their primes or in their primes. That's smart business. Yeah, you say that. because, And so, I, you know, a bunch of people would ask me, what about Bobby Wagner? Because I saw it said, look, they're shopping yeah, we the talk top about of him. The, the, the inside linebacker guy. And I said – Bobby Wagner, though, doesn't make a ton of sense for the Giants. He's a guy, he goes to a team that's on the verge of winning the Super Bowl. That's like, all right, we just need that one extra player to get over the hump kind of deal, right? And the mm-hmm. Giants are like, well, we need a younger guy that we want to build around, and we have put in our middle of our defense, and we could trust to be one of our leaders for the next two, three, four years. And so a character much more fits that mold than a guy like Bobby Wagner or a veteran would have. So I think, yeah, this is the kind of piece that Wink Martindale will like. Uh, he could be used in a bunch of different ways. If you can keep the uh, offensive lineman off him, he's going to make a ton of tackles. And the Giants' hope is that with players like Leonard Williams and uh, Dexter Lawrence, they can do that, and Akarake will do very well in Wink Martindale's defense and put up huge How do you think numbers. they go yeah, about – What, 151 last year? Yeah. Uh, how how do you think they go about adding to the cornerback depth? Because we know that that's important. You saw what yeah. Dallas did today in making the trade for Stephon Gilmore. Do you think that this is a trade? Do you think that this is the draft? Both? I mean, I, I, off the top of my head, I don't even know who's still left out there on the free agent market. But th- those are bodies that you still want to stockpile, I think, at that position. Yeah, there's still some decent players out there. Uh, Byron Murphy's one of them. Although I'm not sure he's a straight outside cornerback. Uh, I think he plays a bunch in the slot. But, you know, I mean, it's which they could use, by the way, as well. Sure. Uh, I don't know if you really, you know, darn And he's only 25, too. That's today. the upside with him. Yeah. But, I mean, I, I think, honestly, the more I look at the draft, I, I think there's a good chance that the Giants' first round pick is potentially a cornerback. Like, I do. I, I, I think. Because even if you look at a guy like Dory Jackson, he's in the last year of his deal. Right. He's been injured a lot in his career. He was injured last year again. Like, there's a good chance he's not even on the roster next year. So you need to address that early in the draft this year. If the Giants drafted a cornerback 
out, uh, you know, in the first round. Uh, my guy Deontay Banks uh, out of Maryland at number 25 comes to mind. So I'm not sure if he's going to get there at this point. A lot of people seem to like him. But I'm big, strong, fast man coverage cornerback. Like, that fits what the Giants want to do. Uh, I could easily see them going in there. I know everyone's like, why well, thinks wide receiver, wide receiver, wide receiver. But, Dan, you know, the history of wide receivers in the second round is pretty darn good. Right. So if you have to wait to the second round for a wide receiver, it's not the end of the world. I, I, I do think that cornerback has a really strong chance of being their top pick here. So, you know, add some veterans and free agency just for, I think, for depth purposes. And I'm thinking about it, too, the, the name that just came back to me, but I don't know if it's a fit necessarily is Marcus Peters because he's a little bit older yeah. and he's going to yeah. cost you more, but he has the link to Wink Martindale. I think that's a guy that they would, would look at. I think they actually have looked into it. Like you said, though, are they, do they, can they or are they willing to shop in that level, that price mm-hmm. range? I'm not sure that's where they're going to go. In uh, free agent, like there's only like there's a limit to what you can spend, right? They right. need to add wide receivers in the worst of ways. Uh, like they might just have to, you know, slap it together for one more year at cornerback and work on that in the draft and moving forward. I, I think that's a position that they're, that's just the way they're going to probably have to go about it because of uh, just the finances of it. Like they just don't have the money to put into that position at this point. What's the latest you've heard on the Leonard Williams front in terms of restructuring or anything like that? Yeah, interesting. Uh, I haven't heard much on it, but you would think that's something they would have to do. I did hear at one point that they didn't really want to move money forward, so it's really hard to do a restructure or anything without moving money forward. The only solution at that point would be to take a pay cut, right? Because otherwise you're adding future years, and I'm not sure they want to do that. He's coming off an injury plague season as well. He's getting close to 30. Uh, so it's, it's kind of a tricky situation here. Uh, I think the preference would be for him to take a pay cut. If he doesn't, I think probably a lot of things on the table. They don't want to get rid of him. But I, I, I have to think that at least the discussion has come up. Hey, we saved $12 million. We could get, like, you know, two solid – veteran guys in his place is that an option we want to at least consider i don't think it's their preference uh but i think everything might be on the table at this point so all right let me let's close on this one the saquon stuff and i know that they just went ahead and did the franchise tag but you know they're going to talk to try to see if they could get something done long term do you anticipate finality there maybe before the draft or you think this is something that drags into the spring and maybe the summer Man, uh, draft is only a month they, away. You know, Think about it; it's crazy. Yeah, I know that is true. We're in like in late March, so yeah, it is like a month away. Look, if if anything, I would think it would be done fairly soon. If you're Saquon Barkley's team and you're his side right now, you're sitting there staring a tag in your face, right? The tag mm-hmm. at ten point one million dollars. That's your nightmare, right? Then I mean, you're a running back. You're entering your sixth season. You go want you want to go play on a one year deal with no security. So if, if I'm them, I want to look at the deal that whatever the Giants offered before, and they say, you know what, that doesn't look so bad anymore. Yeah, uh, I really think they lost they lost all their leverage. Uh, if they're going to be picky, if I'm the Giants and they're going to still want more and more, and you're just like, why, what? No, we'll just play you on this tag. We don't care. That's actually right. beneficial to us <laughs> to play you on this tag. 
paying a running back year by year is the preference of a te- any team. So if that's the way it's going to go, I-, I can't see it stretching anywhere past the draft. I guess you never know, but uh, I have to assume, based on conversations I've had in the past, it- that would lead to a pretty unhappy Saquon Barkley if uh, he's sitting there in the summer with, with no deal. And it will get interesting, certainly, too, as far as the stuff that we're talking about and what could possibly lie ahead, you know, for both parties involved there, too. Jordan, great stuff, buddy. Appreciate it, as always. Hey, enjoy the next few days. I'm sure that there will be some more twists and turns like there always is with the NFL. So appreciate the time, as always, bud. Absolutely. All right. Have fun uh, on Aaron Rodgers' watch, all right? I'll be watching Uh, from a distance here. Less than 24 hours. Keep those Jets fans sane, Dan. Keep them sane. That's what we got to do. We're we're doing God's work. That's what we do. (laughs) God's work. Yeah. Goodbye. (laughs) All right. Jordan Renan (laughs) covers the Giants for ESPN. We come back. We've got some Nick injury news for tonight's game. And also want to share with you some comments made by a guy that they may or may not see tonight in Damian Lillard about the state of the NBA. Dan Grosser show. We roll till 930. Then it's Nick's pregame on 98.7 ESPN. This is the Dan Grosser Show on 98.7 ESPN. Against the Portland Trailblazers, Knicks will wrap up their four-game West Coast swing, and they're going to have to do it again tonight, as we kind of expected, without Jalen Brunson. Tibbs talked a few moments ago, said the point guard's going to be out again, nursing that that sore foot. So it's going to be five out of the last six that Brunson's not going to be playing. And look, I I think it's the smart move. It, it's to me, it's almost a no-brainer. I know that you know you want these guys to be out there as much as possible. Brunson probably wants to play, but you're not going to see the floor again until Saturday. You know that's an eternity. So get that thing as right as possible. And look, I'm not sitting here trying to say that he's going to be fit and ready to go on the weekend, but you know it, he's not going to then have to incur any potential setbacks. And look, I think that they should have enough to go beat a Portland team, which is not exactly among the elite of the NBA. Jeremy Grant is already going to be sidelined tonight for the Portland Trailblazers, so that's one of their key guys. I mean, you're talking about a 20-game score that's not going to be available for them. So, I, I look, this Knicks team, when they're on their game, when they do what they did Sunday night, for example, if Randall has a big game, RJ does his thing, Hart gives you quality minutes off the bench like he's done each and every time he's you know put on this Knicks uniform so far since being acquired, I think they got what it takes. But we'll get into that in a little bit more detail coming up in a half an hour. When we return, though, we'll get into some other things, get into a few baseball tidbits with the Mets and the Yanks. And also, Dame Lillard had some interesting things to say about the current state of affairs in the NBA. I think you'll find those interesting. Dan Grasso Show, another half hour, 98.7 ESPN. This is the Dan Grasso Show on 98.7 ESPN. <laughs> another half hour. Then we're going to turn things over to, what's that guy's name? Oh, yeah, Dan Grasso. It's got Nick's pregame for you. Nick's will be taking on the Portland Trailblazers tonight, the fourth and final game of the West Coast Swing as the Knicks try to come home 500, two up and two down. No Jalen Brunson, told you that moments ago, still nursing that sore foot. Blazers are going to be without Jeremy Grant. He'll sit with a quad injury. And Damian Lillard questionable with a sore calf. Dame didn't play their last game on Sunday, and you're talking about a guy who's, you know, third leading scorer in the NBA, and we know how good of a player and how dangerous a player he would be if he wasn't able to go tonight. However, you know, Lillard, who was a guest on J.J. Reddick's little podcast, it's called The Old Man and the Three. And, you know, Lillard's one of these dudes that 
I've always admired, actually. You know, first and foremost, forget about the fact that he's a real good player, which he is. I like the old school mentality of a guy who had opportunities, right, like any of these great players do, to go elsewhere, to take their talent someplace else, to go chase rings and that sort of thing. But Dame Lillard has bypassed all those temptations, and he's decided to stick it out with the only franchise he's known. And there is nothing wrong with that, right? Now, look, he's made close to $200 million in his career up until this point. And if you look at the money that he still has coming his way, I mean, he's got 45 and change next year, 48 after that, 58, and then 63. So, I mean, the, the guy is uh, he, he's rich beyond his wildest dreams. So it's not like he's been doing this for charity. It's not like Dame Lillard has been taking less in Portland, right, to try to bring a winner to the great Northwest. That hasn't happened. Anyway, but he was talking about the state of the NBA and where things are right now. And where the game has kind of been. And remember, Dame is somebody who's, you know, a decade into this league already. He's seen a lot. You know, the game has changed even in just that short amount of time period. And that was one of the things that he talked to J.J. Redick about that, you know what, this game really isn't the same. The NBA I play in now is not the NBA that I came into. And I expect it to evolve. Everything is, is constantly changing. But, like, I feel like I play for the love of the game like i want to i want the competition i want to know what it feels like to win i want to see my teammates do well i want to see my teammates get paid you know like i enjoy the uh, the bonding part of it like we spend more time with each other than anybody but now it's like that don't count regular season don't count get a ring you know what i'm saying like who this guy's the mvp this guy did this he the first it's like bro what like what is this stuff like what is this you know what i'm saying like when he says the regular season doesn't count either, I take that as another sort of a meaning as well in that load management is also something that is completely cheapened and compromised the regular season. You know, it's almost like why even bother paying attention? Because you don't know on any given night what game that you tune into, who's going to be playing, who's not going to be playing. Is it worth wasting my time for two and a half, three hours? Forget about actually spending your money and actually trekking to one of these arenas. And the arm and a leg that it's going to cost you are bringing your kids that want to see their favorite players because you don't know if they're even going to be playing or not. That's the crime of this whole thing. And, and look, I agree with Dame 100%. And taking it a step further, guy who's been in the league 10 years, one of the best players, all-star many times over, one of the most well-respected guys, he says flat out, I don't enjoy what the NBA is becoming. We cannot keep acting like, while I understand we play to win championships, we all want to win the championship. We can't keep acting like nothing matters, like the rest of the stuff, the journey doesn't matter. We can't keep doing that. You know what I'm saying? So I feel like there are so many ways that the league is different. There are so many ways. And I, I think about it all the time where I'm like, man, I just don't, I don't know if, I don't know if I'm, if I can just play a long long time because I don't I don't enjoy what what the NBA as a whole is becoming hey Dame you're not alone man you're not alone right and it has changed 100 percent you know so much so like this whole load management thing has been talked about time and time again some of the older players have voiced their opinions you know even a few days ago I saw KG and I think it was Paul Pierce that were talking about, you know, the game and, and, and all that stuff and, you know, how it's just kind of devalued so much of what you play for. And that's the real crime of the matter. And, you know, not only that, 
I've seen some stuff talked about here in the last couple of days. There's reports how they're going to put some new wrinkles into the CBA when that comes around again, just in terms of individual awards, that you have to play X amount of games to be eligible for whatever end-of-season honors that you might hope to attain. And you might say, well, it's not that big of a deal. Who cares? It's all individual stuff. Well, yeah, but a lot of these guys, guess what? They have incentive clauses in their contracts, you know, to where if they do win whatever award it is, that's extra tens of thousands of dollars, some cases even million dollars, whatever. But you can't only play 55, 60 games a year, take off a quarter of the season and be expected to be rewarded. That's not the way it should be. So, look, people have wised up to this thing. People have spoken out about this thing, but I don't know how it's going to change. You know, the league is going to have to be the ones to step in. And realistically, what can you do? If guys don't want to play, they're not going to play. And that's just kind of like taking over the game. It's almost become a theme of the current state of affairs in the NBA. And that's one of the things that I admire Thibodeau about and the way that he's kind of managed things with the Knickerbockers, to be quite honest with you. You know, Julius Randle, a guy like that, this is an all-star. You know, one of the better players in the NBA. Guys played every single game this year. Every single one. Now, you could talk about how, you know, he's burned out and he could use a rest and, you know, the Knicks should do what some of these other teams do. Nonsense. Nonsense, nonsense. Right? Go out there and play each and every night. I admire the hell out of somebody like Julius Randle, Thibodeau, that want to go out there and stick their guys on the court for every single game. 800-919-3776. That is the telephone number. So it just went final in Piscataway, and Harvey, did I call it or no? Did I call it or no? What did I say before the game? You said it before we went on air. Right. I, I don't remember if I said it points. on air. But I said it, right? I said Hofstra, and I said it to our buddy Tom Bauer, too, who's a Hofstra grad. I'd said it to him yesterday when I saw him at the station. I said, Hofstra's getting seven and a half points in this game. The NIT, a game that's going to mean everything for Hofstra. Their name was called Vomit Fourth. Right? Yeah. Um, ESPN, most eyeballs on a game that they probably played all year. Euphoria for them. Rutgers, nothing to play for. They got punched to the gut two days ago by the selection committee. They asked them to turn around in two days and all of a sudden pretend that none of that happened, your ultimate goal, which you didn't get a chance to compete for, and to now shake it off and have a consolation prize in the NIT. I said it for the last two days. Ride Hofstra with the seven and a half. Take it, lock it. It, it. It's the lock of the century. And what just happened? What just happened? Right? I wish I was wrong, but you know what? Kid knew what he was talking about. I know this team. And it's the human element. And it's the same damn problems. They had a lead, five-point lead, less than a, less than a half a minute to go in regulation. Can't grab a rebound, which would have iced the game. Gave him another shot. Game-tying shot, force overtime, and Hofstra wins it in overtime. You can't make it up. You can't make it up, but you know what? I also can't say that I'm too surprised either. Good season, crappy ending. How about that? And we'll see you next year. And congrats to Hofstra, seriously. Congrats to Hofstra. Game meant way more to them, and I hope they take this thing as far as they – take it to Vegas because 
Semifinals of the NIT are no longer at Madison Square Garden. I don't know how many people knew that. It's now in Vegas. So I hope Hofstra goes all the way out to Vegas. They're in the final 16. Keep it going. You're two more wins away from getting a nice trip to Sin City, and I hope that they could do it. Congrats to them. Uh, 800-919-3776. We'll try to squeeze in a couple of more calls. Anything you want to talk about, Rogers watch, which, hey, we're still watching. Um, and we'll try to squeeze in some baseball news and notes before we get out of Dodge. Dan Grasso Show, till the bottom, right here on 98.7 ESPN. This is the Dan Grasso Show on 98.7 ESPN. Seriously, I mean, here I am thinking all the, I, I'm thinking we're friends, and you got to throw that in my face. I'm not even, honestly, I'm not even hurting. The hurt was Sunday that carried over into Monday. You know, that, that's when the wound was executed on Sunday. And that was my point all along. And again, like, why I'm not shocked at all by this result tonight is because I'm a fan. I'm a yo-yo fan. I'm just the guy who went to the school. If it hurt me with the screw job by the committee to then be expected 48 hours later to turn around and then get invested in some consolation tournament, I can't go there. Oh, please. How about the players who were like, more emotionally involved like this was literally like their lives and they got the gut punch and then you're going to tell them less than two days later oh by the way you fell short of your ultimate goal because somebody took it out of your hands and now go play in some consolation tournament please the, the facts are the facts this was essentially the ncaa tournament for hofstra they come from a one bid league right you got a game on ESPN against a local rival, a Big Ten team in their building. This was their Super Bowl. Their fans had tears in their eyes. And good for them. I'm not taking anything away from them. I expected this to happen. And I wish them well. I hope they go all the way to Vegas, win the whole NIT for real. But am I shocked? No, absolutely not. Not even close. You want to talk about pain, anguish? The pain that I felt a couple of days ago when they didn't end up in the dance is nothing compared to how I felt when they lost to Notre Dame in overtime in the first round last year of the tournament. That was awful. Poo-poo. That, that literally took like two days to get over. And I told at this stage of the game, I told you, there's very few things that I still have like fandom over. This is one because it's not something we're generally talking about a lot. It's not really my day in, day out work. But it's my school. That friggin' loss to Notre Dame last year where I thought there was no way that Notre Dame was going to beat them. And then to lose like they did in overtime, it, 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 I was like in a fog for two days. I remember I had the next day off, and I just like sat on the couch and just like stared at the TV for like the whole day. And that was like the day the tournament started. Wanted no part of it. None. Zero. Zilch. It's probably how Jet fans feel right now, waiting for Aaron Rodgers to make up his mind. And again, if you're just joining us, 1 p.m. tomorrow, McAfee show is when Rodgers is going to go on and probably what we think – Tell the world about what his intentions are and what his plans are. But you can never be too sure because it's Aaron Rodgers. Nevertheless, you want to be listening to this station right here because at that time, me and Bart Scott will be on and we will dissect, talk about, vent, rejoice, you know, moderate a forum, <laughs> a discourse for all the fans to talk about what may or may not be happening with the New York Jets. Oh, my gosh. Let's say hi to John in Hempstead. He's up next here on 98.7 ESPN. Johnny, Hello? how are you? Hello? Hello, John. What's up? Yeah, can I just, um, if Rogers, what, what happens if the Jets just say no to Rogers and tell him, and just tell him no, that he can't request all these players with, 
Riken Rogers just if he backs down, make him back down and force him to see if he really wants to retire. Because he clearly wants to win if he wants all these players. So make him either retire. If he really wants to retire, let him go. But he can't go and control the Jets team. Well, that's, I think that's what's dragged this whole thing out, John, and I thank you for the phone call. I mean, that's why it's kind of taken several days to finalize. Because remember, I mean, Alan, Alan Lazard is already under contract. Now, I, w- I would caution people saying Alan Lazard is somebody that I think that they had eyes on regardless of Aaron Rodgers. Now it just makes more sense. Because remember, Nathaniel Hackett's here too, and Nathaniel Hackett had Alan Lazard in Green Bay and knows how he fits into this type of offense that they want to execute. And I think that you know, it seems as if Corey Davis's time might be dwindling down just because of the numbers more than anything else, right? And if you're going to part ways with Corey Davis, Alan Lazard, it's like a wash when you're talking about the cap. Both big physical receivers. So I think that you find the natural replacement there. And look, it only makes more sense if indeed the quarterback is going to be around, which we could be cynical about the whole thing. I, I, I would be stunned if we're sitting here, you know, by tomorrow at this time and talking about Rodgers not being a member of the Jets. Be absolutely stunned. But you never know. Right? There's surprises at every turn when you're talking about this thing. Um, real quick on the baseball, a couple of things. The Mets gave you the official word today about Jose Quintana. And we had found out that it was going to be a few months because he was dealing with some rib fracture. That was the initial report. Well, now it's not a rib fracture. Jose Quintana had a lesion on his rib, and he was seen by a tumor specialist, and the biopsy came back benign. So that's good news, of course. But he's going to have to undergo bone graft surgery, and the Mets aren't expecting him back until at least July. So that's half the season, you know? And Quintana was supposed to be a guy who was probably going to be the fifth starter, right, in a perfect world, number five for this team this year. So now you're already having to tap into your starting pitching depth before you even break spring training, and that's not ideal. Dave Peterson threw another real good game today. He's probably going to be the guy that's going to get first crack at that spot in the rotation. Let's see if he can take advantage of it. You know, Peterson has been this guy that's shown glimpses and he's shown flashes so far in his big league career, but he hasn't been able to exhibit that consistency. Now he's going to have a chance and he's going to be called upon. When you look at this Mets rotation, Scherzer, Verlander, Senga, well, would have been Quintana. Um, why am I drawing a blank? Harvey, help me out. Who's the other starting pitcher? Oh, my gosh. No, not Quintana. The other, there's one more that I'm missing. No, one more. The other one. The one that <laughs> who the hell is it? Oh, my gosh. I, this is scary. Um... I'm trying to think. Carrasco. Thank you. Forgot about Carrasco. I'm thinking about, like, guys that they brought in from the outside. I forgot about Cookie. Carrasco, all these guys, you know, given where they are in their careers or what they've done up until this point or not done up until this point, I think the Mets are going to really going to have to keep a watchful eye on their starting staff throughout this season. You know, I know the old days and, you know, conventional thinking when it comes to baseball is, you know, you'd love to have a starting pitcher go out there, throw 200 innings, make 30-plus starts, right? Iron Man, take the ball every five days, rubber arm, that type of stuff. But with this staff, though, how many guys on the Mets are going to make 30 starts? Really? Any of them? You know, even, even guys like Verlander, you know, who've been, like, pretty durable throughout their careers. 
I don't know if you can expect 30 starts from him. Scherzer, what he went through last year with the side tightness and all that stuff, I, I don't think that you can push him to make 30 starts. So your starting pitching depth is going to be something that's really critical. And now, without having a guy for three months at least in Quintana, and that's, that's, that's minimum, it could be even longer. I mean, Jesus, Quintana might end up throwing the same amount of innings as Jacob DeGrom did for you last year. The only difference is DeGrom is a hell of a lot better pitcher. So this is a little concerning because I wasn't necessarily sold on these five guys anyhow. I told you, I wasn't the biggest Quintana guy. Um, I thought the three guys that they were replacing, the three that were on this team last year, were a step backwards. You know, Verlander, Senga, Quintana, I thought were inferior to DeGrom, Bassett, and Walker. And you hope that they're able to kind of stem the tide a little bit, but this is not the way you want to start. Real quick on the Yankees, Isaiah Kiner-Falefa has taken some fly balls now in the outfield. He's working with Nick Swisher. It looks as if they're going to move him off a shortstop, and he's going to be one of these jack-of-all-trades, super utility guys, which, okay, fine. He's got the athleticism to do so. And I still think, you know, when push comes to shove, he might be somebody who's trade bait. I think even by doing this right now, what the Yankees are doing, it's just showing the rest of the league that, oh, look, he could play the outfield too. Because, I mean, look at a team like the Dodgers, for example. Dodgers lost their shortstop, Gavin Lux, for the season. They traded for Miguel Rojas, the old Marlin, right? And they brought Rojas in to kind of be a utility guy, a backup. But now because of the Gavin Lux injury, Rojas is going to have to be an everyday player for him. I don't think the Dodgers want Miguel Rojas at his age to be an everyday shortstop for that baseball team. So maybe it is somebody like an IKF, you know, a guy who can play a bunch of different positions that is coveted by some other teams in Major League Baseball, not just the Dodgers. So we'll see what the Yankees have in store here. Um, I don't think that's somebody that you are going to necessarily rely on if you're the Yankees throughout the season. I don't think you can. I don't think that it's smart business and – that at least appears to be the way things are going here for the Bombers. All right, that's going to pretty much do it for us here tonight. Want to thank Harvey. Want to thank Julian. Uh, want to thank Jordan Renan for hopping on the program. Don't touch that dial because I'm coming right back with Nick's pregame, Nick's Blazers tonight to close out the road trip. But you'll hear me again tomorrow with Bart Scott at noon. Dan Gross is saying so long, 98.7 ESPN.